0: What's up, everybody? Hello, and welcome to episode number 154 of the VK Bros, with the VK Bros themselves, Jackson and Alex von Kennel. How are you going, Alex?
1: I'm going no good.
0: You're going no good?
1: I am sick as a dog. Right. And I think yeah. it was only because, like, two days ago in the office, I was showing off about it. The last, I can't remember the last time I was sick. And then yesterday, oh, last night, it got me. And I feel 100% rat ass. <laughs>
0: yeah, you got, you got karma sick, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as usual, guys, got plenty to go through today. Uh, plenty of big stories. So I would definitely suggest sticking around for those. Uh, I just wanted to start off with a bit of a personal story, if you mm. will indulge me. Um, because essentially, so today is uh, Friday. It's Friday about midday. Uh, essentially yesterday morning, Thursday morning, I had a mental breakdown. So to give you the background on why I had a mental breakdown, just to explain a little bit of what's been going on in the past, you know, bit of time. So for the last month, the whole family's essentially been sick. Uh, Amanda works at a school, so... Uh, we, we do everything sort of one term at a time and we always look forward to the school holiday period where we can relax a bit and spend a bit of time as a family. We got sick just before the, the last school holidays began and the whole family was essentially sick for the last three weeks. So for any of you new listeners, I've got two kids. You can see uh, photos of them in the back here. Uh, one of them's is three and a half. One of them is 16 months old. So when the kids get sick, it essentially means uh, nobody sleeps, so it, it, it gets very difficult to recover yourself because you can't actually rest properly because you're attending to the kids all the time. So I mainly uh, tend to the, to the young one, Jake, and my wife mainly takes care of Nate during the middle of the night when they get a little bit sick. So that's obviously taxing. Then during this whole period is when Jake fell over and cracked his tooth which was a very big deal for us as a family. He uh, couldn't eat properly for about four days between when he did it and when he got the surgery done. So that was all very stressful. Uh, Again, when they don't eat, they don't sleep, uh, very upset. And, um, yeah, essentially it's been a very stressful period uh, mixed in with the fact that... um, I haven't been out of sleep myself. I mean, I haven't slept properly for three years. But this this last period, this last month in particular, was really really tough. Um, also, yeah, add on the fact that uh, Nate, the three and a half year old, is going through a very defiant phase at the moment, and that's fine. Like normally, they'd be totally fine. Um, but as a stay at home father. One of the things that I have definitely identified within myself is my level of patience before having kids was basically non-existent compared to what it is now. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I guess that's, it's not just patience, it's patience and empathy for others. Like I have realized that I really had none before I had kids. So since having children and spending a lot of time at home with them, I've definitely leveled up my patience and my empathy, but it's still not something that I can naturally do twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week, is uh-huh. just give out empathy and care for others whilst my I am sick myself as well. And also, meanwhile, Jake is now going through a, a phase where he's starting to climb up on everything, which is obviously a pretty dangerous phase early on. Because they can climb on top of things that they can't necessarily get down off. It also means they can reach objects around the house that they previously couldn't reach. So you're sort of always on alert as to where is Jake in the house at the time. Um, you're having Nate refuse any basic instruction at the moment. Like, And it might not, these might sound like all just little things. And I guess they are in, in a way. But essentially it all culminated yesterday morning with so so nate goes to kindy five days a week and jake only a few months ago started going on thursdays and fridays so me mentally being mentally exhausted i was just looking forward to thursday which is yesterday because that was my day to myself where i could just sort of recharge my batteries and it all culminated yesterday morning when Like, basically, the the house was just mayhem in the morning. Nate being defiant, me trying to do the right thing, cooking a nutritious breakfast for both the boys that Nate requested. He then refused the food after I made it for him. Jake had two bites and then started throwing his plate on the floor. So now there's more mess. And getting everything ready for kindy. And it essentially got to just about to get out the door. So like the, the light was at the end of the tunnel and I could see the light. And then I was trying to find Jake's shoes to put on his feet before he went to kindy. I could find one and for the life of me, I couldn't find the other one. And I'm talking, I looked for like 45 minutes to an hour, just trying to find this shoe. And, and to be fair, my house is a shit fight at the moment. Cause I got two boys who are just hyperactive, like, like, when they're sick, we spend a lot of time at home. That means they get bored and they just tear the house apart. And that's fine. Again, any normal time, all good. But I just hit a point where I was so close to having freedom and then I couldn't have it. I was something as simple as not being able to find a shoe and I just lost it. Mm. I absolutely lost it. I, I basically broke down. It's the worst I have felt in a long, long time. And the reason why I'm sharing this is... Well, it's a few reasons, really. Um, Number one, I think as men, it's important to acknowledge that you can't just be the strong, tough guy all the time. We all go through down patches. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Number two, I'm actually proud of what I did next. And the main reason why I wanted to share this story is because of what I did next. And so I had my breakdown. Uh, Amanda was already at work, so she did call me and I spoke to her. And and again, no shade on my wife. She's amazing. She does so much more than what's expected of her. So uh, essentially what happened was when I finally found a solution to get the kids to kindy... I sat in the car at the kindy and I did like a life audit and I I asked myself like, why why do I feel as bad as I do right now? What's changed? And obviously there's all those excuses, There's, there's those external influences like sickness, like caring for the kids, no sleep and all those sorts of things, but what else was going on? And what I realized is during this last month period of sickness and other issues, I had stopped doing the things that I know I need to do to keep my head right and to work on my mental health. And those things are exercise, like running, going for walks, lifting weights, getting out in the sun. Obviously, sleep's a big one. Um, Snacking. Eating healthily. That's right. So...
1: Alcohol.
0: Well, the alcohol thing is funny. It's funny that you mentioned that because in the past, so I I when I have down times, I know I've analyzed what my triggers are and what my um coping mechanisms are. And I've always been a comfort eater, so I, I definitely know I've eaten a lot of terrible processed food in the last month. And some of that is just a byproduct of having to run kids to and from the hospital and, you know, you, you, you put so much care into them. You don't, sometimes you don't feel like you have time to make yourself a nutritious breakfast in the morning. You just got to get to your appointment and eat something when you're at the hospital. And look, they've got a cafe. It's not great food, right? So, but I know that I'm a comfort eater. And in the past pre-kids, I was a drinker as well. And I, I, I was never an alcoholic, but I could overindulge, absolutely, if I was going through down periods, and alcohol itself is a depressant, and that's not good for anyone. But ironically, since I've had kids, and because the kids don't sleep, it's actually too hard for me to drink to excess now. So that's a bit of a habit that I have already sort of kicked to a degree. Right. I probably have... Like when you go into the doctors for a checkup, and they say, how many standard drinks do you have a week? And I I... I I always used to say four or five. That's probably what I'm drinking now. Yeah. Uh, It wasn't when I used to say that to the doctors. Um, So the alcohol thing's not been a problem. But I definitely overindulged on, uh, you know, highly, uh, you know, calorie dense, processed shitty foods, just comfort foods, right? Yeah. And why am I doing that? Because obviously I feel like shit. So you're just looking for sources of dopamine. That's what you're looking for. That's why we do these things, right? When we don't feel good, we do we just reach for something that's just going to make us feel good. And that's what I did in the last month. Mm. So I reached for these cheap, easy dopamine sources. And I neglected all the things that I know that I need to do to keep my head
1: right. Just the hard stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The easy stuff is always easy to
0: do. Exactly. And that's why it's it's so easy to fall back into. Yeah. But that easy stuff makes your life harder. Yeah. So I'm sitting there in the car at the kindy and feeling terrible, but... Fortunately, I'd already thought about this on the way out. Normally, what I try to do on a Thursday or Friday is I try to drop the kids off, and I drive out to Paradise Point. I go for a run down the beachfront, and then I go for a swim in the ocean because it's freezing cold, it's salt water. It's all the benefits of, you know, mm. cry like cold water therapy and all that sort of stuff. So, I w- did that. I went out to Paradise Point. I went for my run. I went for a swim, and that was a positive start to the day. And then I started making. Like, while I was on my run, I was thinking about things. So I made myself a short-term goal. And my short-term goal is to have a diet reset until at least the end of August. So no alcohol, no processed foods. Um, I've basically been eating sort of like an animal-based diet since the start of this year. So I mainly get most of my calories from like eggs, meat, a bit of cheese... And I still eat, like, fruit and stuff like that and, and vegetables. And I've got, like, a green drink that I drink in the morning to get all those nutrients as well. Um, so I didn't really neglect that for the last month. I was still eating like that, but I was eating so much junk. Yeah, I, yeah your staples were
1: fine, but it's just adding, adding everything around it. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. So diet reset until the end of next month. Um, I've also identified, too, that I'd been giving myself my own mental blockage because I normally when jake's at home i normally take him for a morning walk and my morning walks about 5ks and it's great because it's exercise it's in the sunshine fresh air all those good things but he's also going through a bit of a a sleep change at the moment where he no longer sleeps in the mornings and if i take him for a walk in the mornings and any parent who's listening might chuckle at this you take him for a walk in the morning he'll fall asleep in the pram Uh, stuff's up his lunch nap, puts it back, doesn't sleep at night. It's a nightmare. So I know that I've stopped doing that stuff purely based around his sleep needs. So now I've gone, you know what? I need to still get out and do it. So I might just throw him in the pram and take him for a 10 minute walk down the road and back at least first thing in the morning, just to get out and get something done, you know? Uh So today is Friday. I did the same thing. I dropped the kids off. And, and just as sort of a bit of a um, another further excuse, obviously when the kids are sick, they don't go to kindy. So for the last three weeks, there's been no Thursday, Friday days off to myself either. So those days I sort of need for my mental health have not been there. And, you know, when this is a thing that housewives have uh, complained about forever is that... You know, men go to work and or and think they work so hard and then they get home and they're like, can't I just put my feet up and you take care of the kids? Well, the person who stays home, the job never stops. Um, as long as the kids are around, the job never stops. And every day my kids wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning and it's go time. And if you don't have kids, imagine setting alarm for yourself as at 6 o'clock every single morning where you have to get out of bed no matter how you feel. And start tending to the needs of someone who can do nothing for themselves but cause chaos. Yeah. So anyway, very long story short, I've already dragged this on a little bit. Um, I'm going to be honest, so uh, I'm still not feeling great, but I'm proud of the way that I handled this because in the past, I would have used it as an excuse to follow down negative pathways and make the situation worse. I would have kept eating the bad foods. I probably would have had more to drink. Um, I would have you know participated in some of those self-destructive sort of behaviors so I am proud of myself that I my first response this time was to do that mental audit and change what I can change and I at least know that I'm on the pathway back to you know feeling good again.
1: I mean that's it's it's hard and and, um, you know like we said, you know, we spoke yesterday about this and that trauma doesn't go away. Like a traumatic, a a breakdown, and like I've had breakdowns too, work-related, you know, and it is very different and there is more of the the ability, I guess, to escape it when it's not your family.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: But like we spoke about yesterday, the feeling of that trauma never goes away. Yeah. All you can do is change the way that you deal with life to make sure you steer away from that trauma. And the biggest thing is like, take charge of mm. your life. Yeah. The biggest thing you can do is is make sure that you are putting the best steps uh, when you can, and everything that every choice that you give, and you're making the right choice, even though it's usually the hard one. Mm-hmm. The hard choice is usually the most important one, yeah. and it's usually the ones that get you the best the best outcomes. So, yeah. uh, the easy road is never a good one.
0: No, no, and I know, I know inherently one of my biggest issues with having kids. So, for a start, my like I'm I am i have never been scared of anything in the past, like physical danger, mental, you know, you, you can call me whatever name you want or anything like that because I've always been very confident in myself and when put in those situations, I can always fight my way out of those things. And the problem is that fighting is my natural response to a lot of these sort of stresses, and you can't fight this. This is not something that you can fight. So, your natural response is actually in in complete contrast to what your, what response is required at the time. And that's difficult. I also know that I'm a very much a structure guy mentally, and um, it's the way that I, I operate with a lot of things. So if you, if I'm at work, for example, I'm a very process oriented structure based guy. And the reason for that is that it means whatever task it is that needs to be done, is essentially, it ends up becoming autopilot from your brain because I know what the processes are know I know what the structure is. So the actual 80% of your day-to-day life is done on autopilot. I've used the example before of like when you drive to work in the morning and when you get there, you go, oh, were all those traffic lights I went through green? Because your brain's just doing the drive on autopilot because it's done it a million times before. So you're not actually concentrating any mental energy on that task. And the thing is, when it's kids, especially young boys who are hyperactive, who are going through these different life phases for themselves, and then you throw on sickness, the complete and utter lack of structure means I've had to consciously think about every single thing that's happening all day, every day, 24 hours a day. And it's mentally exhausting. So what I have... Sleep
1: depriving is a weapon. Like sleep... Sleep deprivation is a weapon that's used against people that you know, prisoners or if you want to get information out of them, you know, that's, that's in a handbook is like deprive someone of sleep and they can't make the right decisions.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's true. It's absolutely true. So yeah, what I've tried to do is I've tried to apply structure to my life in the things that I can do. Um, Mm -hmm. and yeah, it's all about trying to make the best decisions that you can outside of the things that you, you can't control. So Mm. yeah, look, I just wanted to be open and honest with you and share that stuff with you guys. Um, If any of you have been through anything similar and you need help, obviously it ain't weak to speak, reach out, have a chat. Um, you know, I think with all the stresses that people have gone through in the last three years, now the new stresses that everyone's having thrown on with them with inflation, interest rates, all that sort of stuff, it is a very stressful period that we're living through at the moment. So yeah, it's definitely reach out to someone to talk to if you do feel like, uh, you know, it is just getting a bit overwhelming because it happens to all of us.
1: And just separate yourself from the problem and just figure out some solutions.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Anyway. Control what you can control. Exactly.
0: Okay. Let's move
1: let's, on. Let's, let's go to a lighter note. A lighter note. There's some big news in crypto, big news in crypto. Mm-hmm. And I've just pulled up Coin market Cap. lot of green, lot of green, lot of yep. green, lot of green. And if I search by what the percentage over the last 24 hours, the highest mover, it is XRP. hmm Now, have a look at this. XRP's basically been sitting at four cents, four to five cents yep. for years. And it's spiked to as high as just under nine cents right. uh, last night. It's now currently at seven and a half cents. Mm-hmm. And the reason is they have been in a court case with the SEC since 2020 or 20, wow. no, 2019. Basically, the SEC accusing XRP of selling unregistered securities. Yep. Today, the judge ruled that it's not an unsecured security for retail investors. So a little, okay. I, I was trying to dig in because this news has only just come out a couple of hours ago.
0: Yep.
1: It looks like the judge has said when when someone, when a, a normal person has gone and bought XRP tokens, that's mm-hmm. not an unregistered security. So that's all good, move on. But it looks like if institutions in the early days who funded this company for a big stack of money maybe they have broken the rules.
0: Right. Okay. Okay. So when... So you mean... Do you mean early investors who invested money and then were given XRP uh, coins yes. up front?
1: Yes. Right. Yes. yes. So it it is basically... The biggest thing about it, it's basically made the whole crypto industry have a big sigh of relief. Mm. This was the canary in the coal <laughs> mine. If this court case went poorly then the whole crypto market is except bitcoin is basically uh could be it could be deemed that they are securities and therefore yeah. if they lost that case then every crypto is going to lose
0: cuz the, the SEC has been like basically attacking everyone lately except bitcoin that we've been saying on the channel for the last couple of yeah. months yeah
1: Yep. Yeah. yeah interesting so that's, that's huge. huge news yeah so that i mean that's why everything's rallied everything's gone up it's funny because like bitcoin and, and ethereum i think peaked by like 3 or 4% but you've got you've got some big 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 moves there some 60 70 80% players yeah, right. and it's good look I, I feel i feel really good for the xrp guys that that held out you know they they put their balls on the line when they bought those things that when that court case came down you know we all thought that this would be the outcome you just didn't know because it, it a lot of it was very corrupt yeah um, or felt corrupt I'm about to sneeze. and um, so it's good. It's good that they got that result, and it's mm. good for the crypto market. Now we'll just keep an eye. I don't, don't get enthusiastic. You know, for me, good news is bad for price mm-hmm. because it may pump today, but I think by tomorrow, once all that money gets sucked out, all the people have sold and got rich out of it. Um, I think you're going to be kicking yourself. So mm. that was just a bit of news in the in the crypto. <laughs>
0: Just speaking of you sneezing, I just want to give myself a special shout out for last week's episode because I blew my nose on about four different occasions and I'd hit the (laughs) mute button so Alex didn't hear them, but I'd hit the wrong mute button so it recorded every single one of them, so I hope you guys enjoyed that.
1: But I also (laughs) thought, I was thinking after you told me that today, that if you would push the mute button in OBS, then I would have muted too.
0: No, because I can mute my microphone whereas oh, okay, yours okay. is a different audio capture yeah right
1: yeah <laughs> okay um let's talk about a little announcement that got snuck under our radar mm. do you want to um do you want to tee this off and then i'll bring the, the video up or should i just shut the video
0: just just bring the video up so I'll, I'll give it sorry i'll give a slight lead in but you can bring the, the video up first and you'll know when to hit play Um, Essentially, while this happened a couple of weeks ago while all of Jake's tooth stuff was going on in the background. And it was another very key resignation from Queensland Health. And we're actually tipped off by a viewer. So, shout out to you. You know who you are. Um, So, yeah, play the clip and we'll we'll discuss it after. The boss of Queensland Health has resigned
1: after facing widespread criticism over a push to change the state's whistleblower laws. Lizzie Gray reports.
2: Sean Drummond has resigned as Director General of Queensland Health just eight months into a five-year tenure, a decision which appears to have blindsided the state's health minister. Mr Drummond had faced days-long criticism from the likes of the AMAQ patient advocates and Health Minister Shannon Fentiman herself over a submission the department made to a review of the state's whistleblower laws. The submission called for penalties to be considered for whistleblowers who leak certain information to journalists. It was widely disputed as an attempt to stop journalists holding the department to account. Mr Drummond informed the Premier of his decision on Tuesday, which she revealed at a press conference Yesterday, Let me say that um, Mr Drummond has done an excellent job as the uh, head of the department. Uh, Mr Drummond has informed me that uh, it's his intention to step down from his position. Mr Drummond claimed to have been considering the move for the last few weeks in an email to Queensland Health staff sent yesterday. But it appears the health minister was left in the dark about the decision. She was still backing him in at her own media conference on Wednesday. I have confidence in the DG. A miscommunication the state opposition has seized on. At the same time, the Premier was saying, oh, I got his resignation yesterday. The Health Minister was simultaneously doing a press conference saying, I fully support the Director-General. It's nuts. We've got the worst ambulance ramping in the nation. Elective surgery continues to blow out. We've got places in the Torres Strait that just aren't getting serviced. A maternity crisis throughout regional Queensland. And they are absolutely consumed with themselves. Regardless of why or who knew about Mr Drummond's decision to resign, it leaves Queensland Health without a boss and a minister who's only been in the job for six weeks at a time when the sector is in crisis.
1: Wow wow wee wah Another one. Mm. Uh, uh. Yeah. Um. And I feel like they kind of glossed over the reason. They, yeah, they, they made the story about the man leaving, mm. but not about wide men They did mention it, but they kind of glossed over it.
0: Yeah. So there's. I had a few thoughts about this up front. Um, first thought is exactly what you said. So the reason why he was leaving was because the health department, now he claimed it wasn't his idea, but the submission had his signature on it. So as the head, you, you're supposed to check this stuff before it gets sent in. So whether it's your idea or not, it's still your responsibility. And... Their submission was, as the news article said, trying to change the um, essentially the whistleblowing laws to stop whistleblowers within Queensland Health giving certain information to journalists.
1: Like what stuff could that be, Jason? What stuff? Oh. What stuff would you want? Okay, let, let's let's play devil's advocate. Yep. What stuff do you think whistleblowers shouldn't be able to tell reporters? That like like what stuff could they say that would be damaging or hurt people?
0: Look, clear stuff that we've already got laws for, uh, patients, private data, um, sure. you know, all, all that sort of stuff. So, you know, but needless to say, the information they don't want journalists to know about is not stuff telling how good they're going, is it? Yeah. it's not going. Hey, look, we had the the most efficient quarter we've ever had. Like, they're not trying to block that stuff. So. So that's the next part of this. Um, Queensland Health, and it's not just Queensland Health. this is this is countrywide. All of the hospitals are overrun at the moment. and I've experienced it because I spent almost a week in and out of a hospital for Jake's tooth fairly recently. And this is also something else that's not really being spoken about is why are our hospitals being overrun with patients at the moment? Because during COVID, uh, we spend a lot of time in the emergency room for various illnesses for the kids. And now I, I know that one of the key factors to hospitals and emergency rooms in particular being overrun is because uh, two things. Number one, a lot of doctors for some reason have decided to stop bulk billing now, which mm. leaves a lot of people who can't afford a $70 GP consult with no option but to go to the emergency room to get seen for minor things. Number two, a lot of doctors are still not seeing any patient that has respiratory symptoms unless they've had a negative COVID test. So I know that there's been... That's m- tops. Oh, it's, yeah. So I know there's been times when, like, Jake's been sick and I don't want to do a COVID test with him and doctors will just refuse to see him. So you end up having to take him to the hospital. And, and the thing is, the hospitals are great. Like, they... They could not care less about COVID. They're just like, yep, come in, we'll, we'll see anyone. But it obviously leads to an overcrowding issue. But one of the other things too, that's not different to what was happening during COVID anyway. But what is different is I do know that during COVID, especially at the Gold Coast Hospital, half the beds were kept uh, free for COVID patients. So they weren't being used. That's not the case anymore. But the wait times are probably worse now than they were during the pandemic. So at least my well, anecdotal is that in experience, line with
1: the excess death rate and the excess... Like, yeah,
0: which is stuff that, that is obviously also not being spoken about and may be one of the reasons behind why a guy who signed a five-year contract to run Queensland Health in October has chosen to resign. And yeah, obviously his submission, that wasn't great either. That's not something that's... That's not a death knell. It was a submission for review to a department who could refuse it if they wanted to. Yeah now yeah, that but, is one they of the things
1: well i was going to say just just on that note is it's interesting that he's fallen like he's basically fallen on his own sword yeah and which goes to show that this submission was probably way worse if the people involved in that submission thought it was inappropriate imagine what we would think
0: absolutely absolutely yeah. but i i must give props where it's due they rejected it so yeah, yeah, that is yeah, that's the first bit of bit of but positive news insane. out of the bureaucracy crazy. in in a long time. So that is a positive. But um, yeah. Okay, one, let's move to. Let's... Hold on, hold on. Before we move on, one thing I did try to to research, and it was very very difficult though, is because with all of these things, the resignations fine, but who's replacing them is is a big question. And I believe that the person who is replacing him in the interim is a guy called Michael Walsh, and I couldn't find too much information about him uh, online, except for the fact that Michael Walsh has actually done this position before. Between 2015 and 2019, he served in the same role. He then left in, to, in early 2020. He joined, I can't remember what the group is called off the top of my head, but it was essentially a group that was uh, spearheading digital health. Right. So in other words, just before the pandemic kicked off, he joined a group uh, and their entire, um, what's it called? Mandate. Mandate is around digital health to improve patient outcomes. And digital health is obviously things like health records, uh, vaccine passports, anything health and digital related. So I just, again, I don't know if there's anything there but it's we'll just, just keep an eye out. It's something it, it, to yeah. It's something to keep an as eye As far as I can on.
1: see, to me, these departments are like champagne bottles, and the 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 cork has popped, and everyone that's coming from from below gets to the top and goes, "I ain't doing this." Yeah, and jumping out. So I, yeah. I think you're going to see a lot of this because this is this is not going away. I, when you watch John Oliver's John Campbell, sorry, John mm-hmm. Campbell's videos, he's on a rampage, and yeah. this data that comes out. Daily now is just supporting it, the opposite of what we're all told. Yeah, and these right. people have to jump into these roles. Yeah. Uh, actually, which we should talk about, which I only texted at the last minute, which is Rob, uh, Rob Lowe. <laughs> Philip Lowe.
0: No, we should talk about Philip Rob Lowe. Let's talk about Rob, Rob Lowe. Lowe should, what a good Rob look Lowe at Lowe should low.
1: take Phil Lowe's <laughs> position.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. But, but the... Um, uh, what's his name? So Philip Lowe,
0: the head of the Reserve Bank, uh, his... So this was actually announced months ago, just so you're aware. I know there's news stories about it now, I but he... That. It was announced months ago that he would not be being renewed in his role. Uh, but they have announced his replacement as well.
1: Yeah, she's worked there since 1985. Right. This is what I don't like about this thing. That... I. Have you heard of a phenomenon called the glass waterfall?
0: I vaguely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But so the glass,
1: everyone's it. heard of the glass ceiling. The glass yep. ceiling is where, and it was often attributed to women in high, uh, high jobs yep. where they, there was only so far they could reach. They could see, they could see what's above and they could just never attain it. Yeah. There was a, uh, when all this real feminism stuff kicked off in, in business leadership years ago, uh, they noticed they, they did some studies to find that most women that were given, and it was a really high amount. It might've been like 70 or 80% of CEO roles that were given were for massively underperforming companies where basically they knew that they wouldn't survive. And just, so it didn't matter who you put in there. It was the end. Yeah, It's like,
0: it's a poison chalice.
1: Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of feel that that's what this is because Uh, this job, uh, I'm sorry to everyone out there that's got a mortgage, the interest rate has to double for the economy to get back on track. It has to double. So this lady, uh, her name is Jenny Wilkinson, I think. Jenny from the block. Jenny Jenny Wilkinson. Jenny Wilkinson is is coming on board and she's been in that organisation since 1985. I actually really wish they would have brought... I mean, Labor talked about trying to smash that whole thing up and changing the way that 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 it works. So mm. I don't like the fact that they've just all right, let's just get rid of Lowy, yep. put someone else in. Get someone new. Because yeah. this is the institution. That's the right. Same institution. Like uh, it's crazy to me. It's they crazy have, to me. They
0: have literally been institutionalized. You'll get no fresh thinking out of someone who has been in the same organization for f- almost 40 years.
1: So I feel like she's getting this is her retirement package. Come in, take yeah. the bullet. Yeah, uh, you're just gonna every month for the next. Okay, I'm gonna call it the next three. The next three or four months, you'll have an interest rate rise. Yeah, that might break after that, and she's gonna be Gonna be the one that has to go and say, "Oh, you know, we've got to do it," and da 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 da. And then yeah. she'll get the bullet, but she's probably served her time. Mm-hmm. And you know, I hate this sort of political posturing, but yeah. And, and look, the, the, the label will say, "Oh, look, look at we done. We put a female in a high place. So they'll play that that card."
0: Yeah, yeah, Yep. Yeah. But yeah,
1: and they're uh, just.
0: This is that same like useful tool where you. So Philip Lowe, uh, like you said, he's made mistakes. Don't don't get me wrong. He has yeah. definitely made mistakes in the statements that he made prior to all the rate rises about the rates not going up. Those were massive mistakes. But. As you, you correctly stated, the rates did have to go up to address inflation. It was always going to have to happen. So the real bad juju on Philip Lowe, it's not the mistakes he made anymore. It's the last 12 rate rises. That's what that's all anyone cares about. So now if you punt him, all that bad juju goes out with him. Yep. She then gets to come in and do what every politician does and go, we're having to do this now because of the inaction of Philip Lowe. So Big you blame good. it on the predecessor. That buys you some time. Yep. Because you can run that excuse for six to 12 months. And then if... Right, 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 And then if you're still not really addressing the problems, well, you're right. She'll go slide straight down the glass waterfall because she's yep. done her job. She's been the useful idiot. And then they'll bring in someone else and you just start yeah. again.
1: Okay, let's move to Ukraine. I found this clip and I think it was just worth showing. Yeah, it is, it is 14 minutes long. I do mm-hmm. want to play the whole thing. Okay. And it's, it's, it is a guy, Max Blumenthal, addressing the UN Security Council. I'm also going to use the opportunity to go and blow my nose. So this does work. This was not planned, but it's actually worked out uh, perfectly. Mm-hmm. But I just don't know if people really understand. We've railed on this about how much money we send over, well, we send to uh, the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And now we've agreed this week to send a radar airplane on the border of Russia and Ukraine. Yeah. Now, oh, we haven't got troops on the ground. They keep saying that. We haven't got on the ground. Yeah. We've sold them how many Bushmaster um uh, Well, we, we've we just
0: committed to sending another 30 We and we've already sent 120 Bushmasters.
1: Yes, and it must be old stock. But the, the fact that... Okay, now we... Like, we shouldn't be getting involved in this.
0: No. We're on the other side and, of the world. And we're and a we for
1: And so we don't have boots on the ground. It looks like we now have boots in the air around yeah. there. And I'm not comfortable with that. But I no. just, I just want, I want to play this. I now give the floor Make sure to the Mr. Max Blumenthal. Yep. It's good. Thank you. And I
3: thank... Uh, Alex Rubenstein and Wyatt Reed for helping me prepare this address. Wyatt Reed is a journalistic colleague of mine who in October 2022 happened to be in Donetsk when his hotel was shelled by the Ukrainian military with a apparently US-made howitzer nearly killing him. He was 100 meters away. I'm also here with my friend, the civil rights activist Randy Credico, who is more recently in Donetsk and witnessed regular high Mars attacks on civilian targets. I am here not only as a journalist who has spent over 20 years writing books, doing, producing documentaries and writing articles about conflict and politics from several continents, I'm also here as an American taxpayer who's been dragooned into funding a proxy war that has become a threat to the regional and international stability at the expense of my countrymen and women. This June, just June 28th, as emergency crews work to clean up yet another toxic train derailment in the United States, this time on the Montana River, further exposing our nation's chronically underfunded infrastructure and its threats to our health. The Pentagon announced plans to send an additional $500 million worth of military aid to Ukraine. The development came as Ukraine's army enters the third week of a vaunted counteroffensive that CNN describes as, quote, not meeting expectations and which even Vladimir Zelensky says is going slower than desired. As Ukraine's military failed to breach Russia's primary defense line, CNN reported on June 12th that Kiev had lost, quote, lost 16 U.S.-made armored vehicles sent to the country. So what did the Pentagon do? It simply passed that bill down to average U.S. taxpayers like myself, charging us another $325 million to replace Ukraine's squandered military stock. There was zero effort to consult the U.S. public's position on the matter, and the vast majority of Americans likely did not even know the exchange took place. This policy that I'm describing to you, which sees Washington prioritize unrestrained funding for a proxy war with a nuclear power in a foreign land while our domestic infrastructure falls apart before our eyes, exposes a disturbing dynamic at the heart of the Ukraine conflict. An international Ponzi scheme that enables Western elites to seize hard-earned wealth from the hands of average U.S. citizens and funnel it into the coffers of a foreign government that even transparency international ranks as consistently one of the most corrupt in Europe. The U.S. government has yet to conduct an official audit of its funding for Ukraine. The American public has no idea where their tax dollars are going. And that's why this week, we at the Gray Zone published an independent audit of U.S. tax, tax dollar allocation to Ukraine throughout the fiscal years 2022 and 23. Our investigation was led by Heather Kaiser, a former military intelligence officer who served in Iraq and Afghanistan. We found, among many bizarre payments, a, a $4.5 million payment from the U.S. Social Security Administration to the Kiev government. We found $4.5 billion worth of payments from the U.S. Agency for International Development to pay off Ukraine's sovereign debt, much of which is owned by the global investment firm BlackRock. That amounts to $30 taken from every U.S. citizen at a time when four in 10 Americans cannot afford a $400 emergency. We found tax dollars earmarked for Ukraine, padding the budgets of a television station in Toronto, a pro-NATO think tank in Poland. Believe it or not, even rural farmers in Kenya. We found tens of millions to private equity firms, including one in the Republic of Georgia, as well as a million dollar payment to a single private entrepreneur in Kiev. Our audit also revealed the Pentagon's $4.5 million contract with a company called Atlantic Diving Supply to provide Ukraine with unspecified explosives equipment. This is a notoriously corrupt company.
1: Uh, Jason, do you wanna tell us what that's for?
0: Um, that was an order placed by Russia via
3: Ukraine so they could blow up their own pipeline.
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah. Must have been.
3: That none other than Tom Tillis, the chairman of the Senate Armed Services Committee, previously lambasted for its, quote, history of fraud. It once again, Congress has failed to ensure these shady payments and massive arms deals are properly tracked. In fact, much of the military and humanitarian aid shipped to Ukraine has simply vanished. Last year, CBS News quoted the director of a pro-Zelensky non-profit in Ukraine who reported that only 30% of aid was reaching the front lines. The embezzlement of funds and supplies is at least as troubling as the potential consequences of the illicit transfer and sales of military-grade... Web-
1: Just on that number, saying that only 30% goes to the front line, I think that's better than World Vision. I think World Vision's only 10.
3: Yeah, yeah, I think so. so that's
1: pretty good. That's pretty <laughs> good
3: weapons. Last June, the head of Interpol warned that the massive transfers of arms into Ukraine means, quote, we can expect an influx of weapons in Europe and beyond, and that criminals are now, as we speak, focusing on them. This May, a group of anti-Kremlin Russian exiles outfitted with gear supplied by the Ukrainian government was hailed by Western politicians for carrying out terrorist attacks in Russian territory using American-made Humvees. Although the group, the so-called Russian Volunteer Corps, is led by a man who calls himself the, quote, White King and includes numerous open admirers of Adolf Hitler, described as neo-Nazis in U.S. mainstream media, the Western weaponization of this militia against Russian forces and Russian civilians has not prompted any outcry from Congress. And while the Biden administration has promised that it's keeping tabs on the weapons sent, a State Department cable leaked last December conceded that, quote, kinetic activity and active combat between Ukrainian and Russian forces create An environment in which standard verification measures are sometimes impracticable or impossible. The Biden administration not only knows that it cannot track the weapons it's shipping to Ukraine, it knows that it is escalating a proxy war against the world's largest nuclear power and daring it to respond in kind. We know this because back in 2014, and this timeline is so important. That's when NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said that the war started following a U.S.-backed coup d'état. President Barack Obama rejected demands from Kiev to send lethal offensive weaponry, because, as the Wall Street Journal put it, he had a quote long-standing concern that arming Ukraine would provoke.
1: Just checking the your headphone works.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Moscow into further escalation that would drag Washington into a proxy war. When Donald Trump entered office in 2017, he attempted to hold the line on Barack Obama's policy, but was soon branded a Russian puppet by the Beltway Press Corps and the Democratic Party for refusing to send Raytheon's javelin missiles to the Ukrainian military. His reluctance to send the javelins became a central theme of his impeachment, and he predictably relented. As U.S.-made offensive weaponry began to reach the front lines of the Donbass, The collective West exploited the Minsk Accords to, quote, give Ukraine time to arm up, as the former German Chancellor Angela Merkel put it. In January 2022, the U.S. announced a $200 million arms package to Ukraine. Follow the timeline. By the 18th of February, observers from the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe reported a doubling in ceasefire violations, with OSCE maps showing the overwhelming majority of targeted sites on the side of pro-Russian separatists in Donetsk and Lugansk. Five days later, Russia invaded Ukraine. And since then, the U.S. and its allies have been scurrying up the escalation ladder at every opportunity. Quote, things we couldn't give in January because it was escalatory were given in February, a former State Department official complained after meeting with Ukrainian counterparts. And things we couldn't give in February, we can in April. That has been the distinct pattern, starting with, for crying out loud, stingers, referring to shoulder-mounted rockets. Joe Biden himself said in March 2022, the idea that we're going to send in offensive equipment and have planes and tanks, don't kid yourself. No matter what you all say, that's called World War III. Just over a year later, Biden changed his tune-backing a plan to provide F-16 fighter jets to Ukraine, and after pressuring Germany to send in the tanks he once feared would provoke World War III. It would only take two months from the time Ukraine received HIMARS, Lockheed-made HIMARS systems for the U.S., for the for the Ukrainian military to begin targeting critical infrastructure, using them to strike the Antonovsky Bridge over the Dnipro River, and again, two months later, in a test strike on the Kahovka Dam to see if the Dnipro's water could be raised enough to stymie Russian crossings, as the Washington Post reported. Three weeks ago, the Kohovka Dam was destroyed, triggering a major environmental catastrophe that caused mass flooding and contamination of the local water supply. Ukraine, of course, blames Russia for this attack, but has produced no evidence. Around this time, Ukraine also baselessly accused Russia of planning a provocation at the Zaporozhye nuclear plant. This triggered a resolution by Senators Lindsey Graham and Richard Blumenthal, no relation to me, calling for NATO to intervene directly in Ukraine and attack Russia if such an incident occurred. The move by Blumenthal and Graham Thus established a de facto red line for initiating U.S. military action, much like the one set down in Syria, which, as a former U.S. diplomat commented to journalist Charles Glass, was an open invitation to a false flag. Will we see another Duma deception, but this time in Zaporozhia? This time with nuclear consequences? Why are we doing this? Why are we tempting nuclear annihilation by flooding Ukraine with advanced weapons and sabotaging negotiations at every turn? We've been told by people like Senator Dick Durbin that Ukraine is literally in a battle for freedom and democracy itself. And therefore, anyone who opposes military aid to Ukraine opposes the very defense of democracy, according to this logic. So where's the democracy in Vladimir Zelensky's decision to ban opposition parties, to criminalize the media outlets of his legitimate political opponents, to jail his top political rival and his deputies, to raid orthodox churches and jail clergymen, Where is the democracy in the Ukrainian government's imprisonment of Gonzalo Lira, an American citizen, simply for challenging the official narrative of Ukraine's war? And where is the democracy in Zelensky's recent decision to suspend elections in 2024 on the grounds that martial law has been declared? The answer is that Ukrainian democracy is harder to find these days than that country's commander in chief, Valery Zeluzhny. Senator Lindsey Graham has offered a much more grim and more on-the-mark rationale for supplying Ukraine with billions in weapons. As the senator boasted during a recent visit with Zelensky in Kiev, the Russians are dying. It's the best money we've ever spent. I repeat, the Russians are dying. It's the best money we've ever spent. And Graham has also said that Americans are ready to fight this war down to the last Ukrainian. While official casualty numbers are strictly classified, we must worry that Ukraine is well on its way to fulfilling senator's ghoulish fantasies as a ukrainian soldier complained this month to vice news we don't know what zelensky's plans are but quote it looks like the extermination of its own population like of the combat ready and working age population that's it indeed military cemeteries in ukraine are expanding almost as rapidly as the northern virginia mcmansions and beachfront estates of executives from lockheed martin raytheon and assorted beltway contractors benefiting from the second highest level of military spending since World War II. These are the real winners of the Ukraine proxy war, not average Ukrainians or Americans or Russians, the winners or Europeans for that matter. The winners are people like Secretary of State Tony Blinken, who spent his time between the Obama and Biden administrations launching a consulting firm called West Exec Advisors, which secured lucrative government contracts for intelligence firms in the arms industry. Blinken's former partners at WestExec include Director of National Intelligence Avril Haines, CIA Deputy Director David Cohen, former White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, and almost a dozen current and former members of Biden's national security team. Defense Sec- Secretary Lloyd Austin, for his part, is a former and possibly future member of, board member of Raytheon, and an ex-partner of Pine Island Capital Investment, which collaborates with WestExec and which Blinken himself has advised. Meanwhile, the current U.S. ambassador to this body, the U.N., Linda Thomas-Greenfield, is listed as a senior counsel at the Albright Stonebridge Group, a self-described commercial diplomacy firm that also finesses government contracts for the intelligence and arms sector, and which was founded by Madeleine Albright, infamously known for her comments that the deaths by sanctions of half a million Iraqi children were worth it. So while military-age Ukrainian men are ripped off the streets by military police and sent to the front lines, the financially and politically connected architects of this proxy war are planning to walk through the revolving door to reap unimaginable profits once their time in the Biden administration is over. For them, a negotiated settlement to this territorial dispute means an end to the cash cow of close to 150 billion in U.S. aid to Ukraine. So in closing, when the United States, my country, a permanent member of this council, has fallen under the control of a bipartisan regime which seeks to perpetuate a proxy war for as long as it takes, in the words of Joe Biden, which considers diplomacy synonymous with unilateral coercive measures to, quote, turn the ruble to rubble, as Biden pledged to do, whose leadership subverts negotiations in order to pursue profit while refusing to properly its own inform its own citizens what they're paying for and pushes the sons and brothers of its supposed Ukrainian partners out onto a killing field in order to bludgeon a geopolitical rival, when both Zelensky and members of U.S. Congress are calling for preemptive strikes on Russia, which have nothing to do with Article 51 of the UN Charter, this council must take action to enforce that charter. That charter is clear that the Security Council must use its authority to guarantee a pacific settlement of dispute, particularly when it threatens international security. That should not only apply to Russia and Ukraine. This council has an obligation to strictly monitor and restrain the U.S. and the illegal military formation known as NATO. Thank you. What do you think? Wow. Um, I
0: just think that, for a start, Max Blumenthal has got the world's biggest nuts. Yep. to go straight into the UN and to call out people who were sitting there like i don't know if you noticed at one stage when he's talking about Ukraine and saying where's the democracy in x y and z he looks to his left-hand side and i saw him yeah. i saw him being interviewed uh, on a different show after that happened and he was literally looking at the delegate from the Ukraine trying to get eye contact from him while he was talking about it and the guy just looked away and we refused to look at him <laughs> Like yeah. he's got brass nuts, this dude. yeah, um, but, but
1: it sorry, sorry
0: no, you, no, you can you go the,
1: the one of the things that I got out of it that we should really keep an eye out is that is that continuing escalation. So we yeah. are literally being sold bullshit every time, oh, we won't do this, we won't do this, we won't do this, we won't do this, and then we just do it, we just yeah. do it. And everyone thinks, oh, yeah, that's well, it's fine now because, you know. They've con- it's they've seeded the idea mm-hmm. of escalation because you you know about the cluster bombs right? They're all, yep. they're talking about the cluster bombs which are banned in a hundred countries. Like they, they think they're basically uh, war crimes to use them. Where America selling
0: them? Do you want to explain why?
1: Yeah, it's about so a cluster bomb is so imagine one big bomb that's full of lots of little ones, and when you when you use them, some of them are duds, mm. which means some of them don't detonate. What happens is uh, over time they could be just sitting there, and then kids could go and play with them, and they could yeah. just explode and kill kids. Yeah. So the America they're banned; they're effectively yeah. banned from warfare. You're not supposed to use them because of mm-hmm. those reasons. America has just done a deal where they're going to sell them to the Ukraine, and the reason why is they're saying oh they have a lower dud rate. They're saying mm-hmm. oh we only have like a thirty percent dud rate. No, they were Russian- saying
0: one to two percent. Oh, okay. I, I yeah, heard. the Pentagon uh, came yeah. out and because they're trying to justify the decision, right? So they've come out and they've said that their dud rate's only 1% to 2%, whereas the cluster bombs that Russia is using has a dud rate of about 40%. Yeah. But where that falls over anyway is because the Americans have said the entire time that the equipment that they send to Ukraine is specifically used to defend themselves on their own territory. Mm. Which means even if it's only got a 1 to 2% dud rate which i don't believe for a second uh they're still being used on ukraine territory which means the only people who can be blown up by the 1 to 2% duds are ukrainians
1: yeah 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 so just keep an eye on that uh it is it, I, I hate hearing the escalation of it yeah. uh, i hate our involvement in it i hate war i just hate yeah. war we we don't need it it's it's about lines on a on a map mm-hmm. let's do a deal i'm a car dealer. let's do a deal let's yeah. just i think everyone will do a deal and i don't want any more any more people to die this sucks
0: yeah and here's the thing that i wanted to well, i want people to take out of it he completely outlines what sort of scam the war actually is and go like you're you keep talking about escalation this has escalated since right at the beginning so we've said countless times Prior to the war ever kicking off, instead of stepping in and trying to quell tensions, the Americans flicked matches at Vladimir Putin because they wanted this to happen. At the beginning, all of the propaganda we got out of Western media was talking about how Zelensky was essentially fighting for democracy and that um, this was an illegal war and Putin, completely unprovoked, has invaded a sovereign nation, Uh, which if you actually go and look at the backstory as Max Blumenthal outlined... Uh, that is completely false. And it has escalated over and over and over and over again. And the only winners out of all of this are the people who are financially profiting from Western taxpayer dollars being sending killing machines into a war zone and putting Ukrainians through a meat grinder. Because that is what's happening. Regardless of mm-hmm. what you've heard through your, your Western media, the Ukrainians are being killed at a rate far higher than what the Russians are being killed at. The only way that... Like, Ukraine doesn't have any manufacturing to manufacture its own weapons. The only way they can continue this war is with other countries sending them equipment, which means at any point in time when it's no longer (laughs) convenient to send things, Ukraine is done. Yeah. Furthermore, as he suggested, why are... Like, look at Australia, for example. Why are we provoking potential nuclear conflict with one of the world's nuclear superpowers in Russia? Why Not are we like... getting involved? And I think our um, the amount of money that we have sent to Ukraine so far is somewhere around $800 million, so almost a billion dollars so far, which is an absolute pittance compared to what the Americans have sent. If the $140 billion that America has already sent hasn't done enough... Our $800 ain't doing anything at all. But that's not what this is about. It is that famous quote from Julian Assange, which is that they do not want to have a successful war. They want to have a long war because it is way of them, essentially money laundering taxpayer money through a war zone and back into their own pockets. That's the result that it's all about. And...
1: They want to condition kids into living in a world with, uh, with um, an endless war.
0: Yeah. And when you, when you take a step back, like if you agree that this is a possibility, that this is what is actually going on with this war, that it is literally just about profiteering, if you can come to that conclusion, then you have to look at other things that governments have done in recent times, like COVID and the vaccines. And you need to ask yourself, if a government is willing to send hundreds of thousands of people to die for profit via war, you don't think they would do the same thing with untested uh, medicines or vaccines Mm. or uh, gain-of-function research? Yeah. Yeah. Like, this is what it's all about, guys. And uh, I think... One of the conversations I've had with a lot of people recently is that what I have come to realise is that a lot of government is literally about how can we steal as much uh, wealth and uh, effort, as in via work, from our people without them writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's always this ebbing, toing and froing of, yep. you know, take, 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 take. Okay, the tension's too high. People are going to start doing some things. Oh, look, we're going to give you a, um, a stimulus payment. Yeah, here's $750. How good are we? Like mm. that's that's the thing. And this is probably a good segue into one of our other stories.
1: Yep. Let's finish up on this.
0: So this new story came out during the week as well. And I'll read it out for you. So this is from um, news.com. Exmouth uh, landowner fears property could be rendered worthless by WA's... Sorry. That's all right New cultural heritage laws. Um, so just, just scroll down. So a landowner in Western Australia's Pilbara region says he fears the property he purchased less than two years ago may be rendered worthless by the state's new cultural heritage laws. Speaking to the West Australian on Monday, the anonymous landowner said he had been quoted more than $20,000 for an Aboriginal heritage survey on the 4,000 square metre uncleared residential block located within 20 kilometres of Exmouth on the Cape Range Peninsula. The man said his family planned to build a house on the property, which will also require an access road, but because it is larger than 1,100 square metres, it does not receive an automatic exemption under the Aboriginal Cultural Heritage Act. Under the new laws, which came into effect on July 1 this year and have been the subject of widespread confusion and debate, individual landowners face penalties of up to a million dollars as well as jail time for damaging a cultural heritage site. According to the WA Department of Planning, Lands and Heritage, nearly the entire Cape Range Peninsula is deemed culturally sensitive as part of the Wanungara Cultural Precinct. Under, in quotes, place type, The area's online directory listing reads, in quotes, artefact slash scatter, ritual slash ceremonial, creation slash dreaming narrative, engraving, midden, rock shelter, water source, end quote. The landowner told the West Australian he had approached a third-party survey company and was provided a quote for just over $20,000, comprising $4,150 for archaeology, $4,500 for ethnography, $4,300 for knowledge holder fees, $4,300 for logistics, plus nearly $2,000 for sundries, including an engagement fee and travel allowance. The man, who is Aboriginal himself, told the newspaper he had complete respect for the traditional owners and was happy to pay, but he was angry at the Labor government, which had financially benefited from the property sale. In quotes, when the property was sold, the government received the stamp duty. The Shire of Exmouth released the property, and yet there is potentially an encumbrance on there, he said. I don't even know if we're allowed to build on it. Let's just say you get the survey and it's identified it has cultural heritage. The land could be worthless. There is an unknown that exists. He said the government should not have allowed the land to be released without forewarning of the potential implications of the new laws. In quotes again, upon purchasing the property, I believed I had a legitimate expectation to be built in accordance with all laws without other government fees and laws imposed retrospectively. This appears to be contrary to our current land ownership system, he said. The isolation of the property means it incurs an incredible expense for a survey, which from my perspective was unforeseen when I bought the block. My perspective is that it shouldn't have been available for sale without that criteria met. According to the Real Estate Institute of WA, real estate agents have a statutory obligation to tell prospective buyers about facts material to a transaction. Uh, the Act becomes a material fact when a property is 1,100 square meters or greater, and agents must inform potential buyers of a property subject to the Act, uh, they said in a fact sheet. They do not need to tell you if the property is exempt or whether any prospective plans uh, you have for the property will require a due diligence assessment. It is up to you to do your own due diligence into whether your plans would be allowed under the Act. I think I missed at the beginning. He bought this two years ago, just so you're aware.
1: Yeah, I don't think this is as big a story as you might think.
0: Okay, and why is that?
1: These fuck ups happen all the time, man, mm-hmm. all the time. And and to me, the bigger deal is it's got nothing to do with the government's new laws. It's uh, I'd be suing the twenty thousand dollar like who who uh, the surveyors.
2: Yeah,
0: so we, we don't need to read anymore, so we can just go back to the main screen. Here's the reason why I sent this through, and I think it is supremely relevant. This, to me, relates to the coming referendum for the Indigenous Voice to Parliament. And I think Australians overall have been played and snookered extremely well in the last five years. Now... So these are brand new laws that have just come into place in WA, okay? And they're already clearly having an impact uh, on just regular citizens. Even though he bought this land two years ago, now the act retrospectively applies to the land he bought two years ago. Uh, There was another story recently of a small island in New South Wales, which the Labor government has returned to traditional ownership. Okay, I don't know if you would have seen that. Here's my concern with the Aboriginal Voice to Parliament that's coming. Uh, that's going to be step one, and think about the things that a an Aboriginal Voice to Parliament may be advocating for directly to government, and probably the easiest thing to think of would be traditional ownership rights to land. What have we been doing for essentially the last five years, Alex?
1: what
0: do you mean? Think about any broadcast of a major sporting event or... Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. Right?
0: What do we do? We would like to start off by acknowledging the, insert tribe here, the traditional owners of the land that this production is coming from. So for the last five-ish years, every single person around the country has been acknowledging the... Traditional Indigenous owners of the land that they are currently residing on. So if the voice goes through, for example, and then the next thing that they push for is uh, either giving land back to the traditional owners or imposing some sort of a rent tax because they are the traditional owners and they'll allow you to stay in your property provided you pay the rent, uh, I think that's a very real possibility. And this, this case that we just went through, like these laws are completely different. They're in WA at the moment, but it, but it's a really good example of how loose, uh, the, uh, application of these laws can be because who is going to tell an Aboriginal surveyor that this land is not of cultural significance? How can you do that?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
0: if you have yeah. an Aboriginal surveying a, crew who who charge I, twenty thousand dollars to do a survey, so they make big bank on that, and then they can say, "Yes, yeah, it's got cultural signif- significance." How can you argue that? There's, it's impossible.
1: Um, I actually have a different take on this whole thing. I okay. and I think it's worse than what you think. I think this whole voice to Parliament thing is designed specifically. To create racial tensions in Australia, Mm -hmm. I don't think we've had it for for years. I think since you know uh, the nine, well, Cronulla riots was like the the last big uh, cultural uprising. Yep. I think we are trying to be pitched against each other so Mm -hmm. that we can keep our eyes off some deals that are done in the background. I, I, think think I think that is
0: a very helpful byproduct.
1: Yeah, the reason why I think the that that can be the, one of the only things that can explain the reason why Labor can't tell us what's in the voice. Well, because I, they don't—they want it to be—they want it to be, they want <coughs> it to be open-ended. They—they they, they don't want to tell you. They want—they know—they know that it's upsetting people,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and then they can blame you. You—if you don't <laughs> like it, you're racist.
0: Yeah. I think, look, I think that is part of it. I, I think the, the application of it and what they will allow it to do, uh, will be so, uh, out of this world that no one would accept it if they actually knew. And let let me give you an example. This is, this is one of the things that went through my mind, um, when I read that story. So let's say that The Voice goes through and they expand those WA laws to the rest of the country, right? Um, One of the biggest political players in the country is Clive Palmer, the United Australia Party. He makes all of his wealth from mining. Mm -hmm. The easiest way to remove his wealth from him is to move those laws around the country and then say that all of his mining sites well, we've done a survey. It's got cultural significance. You can't mine here anymore. Or you can, but you have to pay us X amount of percentage of your mm. profits on, on your mining. Like, it is going to be a way to steal money from people, essentially. That's what I think is coming no. down the track. Right. And,
1: and I don't, you, Do you think the voice is going to get through? I don't think it's going to get through.
0: Look, I don't know. I... I... I I would say in any normal period of time that no, it won't get up. But I saw Australia turn completely irrational because of social pressure in the last three years. And I'm very concerned that the same thing is happening now. Because you're right. There is no detail involved in this. It is just if you don't support the voice, you are a racist. And this is the, the point I made last week. They are claiming that an Indigenous voice to Parliament is so important that it must be written into our constitution so it can never be removed and never be taken away. But they will decide after that happens how it will actually work. So if you know it is that important, like, you must know how it's going to work.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, that's crazy. That's it's, crazy.
0: yeah. And it Which be. makes me
1: think, it's, but they're leaving it ambiguous on purpose. I, and
0: I, I think I, I think it's I, both. I think it's your point. I think the the divisiveness is definitely thing because we're pushed. We're pushing to divide everyone on all fronts at the moment. Because you've got the indigenous versus non-indigenous. You've got the the trans community versus the non-trans community and the LGBTIQA+, plus and. And again, like, how do you create divisiveness? Well, you take a minority group and you elevate them above everyone else and you try to give them rights that other people don't have and then the majority barks back. That's what yep. happens a lot. Um, but it, but it's the same playbook every single time. It is the, the arguments against the... Sorry, the arguments for these things are not rational.
2: They're yeah, emotional.
0: Yeah. Every yeah, time. Totally. Um, Ukraine war... The voice, trans, it's all emotional. Yeah. I watched um on QA. QA? No. Four Corners. Four Corners did a story about um trans kids this week. And I watched it. And I thought they actually did a fairly decent job of trying to appear to be balanced in the debate. Uh but I do Again, being in in doing this sort of thing where we deconstruct the things that we've seen, you could see a pretty clear um, a bias that the, that the ABC was trying to put forth, and also from doing further research on it, the ABC presenter who presented it, she's actually paid by a trans advocacy group to be a spokesperson oh, and wow. never divulged yeah. that during the whole thing, which interesting. Which I think is unethical as far as journalism goes. But what I, what I found so interesting about it is it was another debate where they got scientists or people educated in the field on both sides, so disagreeing with each other, who both said that the evidence shows that they were right. That's the world that we live in now, mm-hmm. is... You, you'll always have Alternative people, truths. That's right. This is yeah. their truth and this is this. Like, there is no... It's becoming very difficult in today's day and age, even with the amount of information we have available at our fingertips. Because so many people feel so um, happy to just blatantly lie for money, we live in a post-truth world now. Because you can't just get down to an objective yeah. truth on anything. And this is why I think... The, this is why I am concerned that something like The Voice might get up, is because truth doesn't matter when it comes to these emotional debates we saw that during covid yes, sure. we see that during like to do with climate change we see it to do with trans stuff like it is a post-truth world and i really am concerned about the social contagion element because when you actually look at the research on it the majority of kids who transition are prepubescent boys and teenage girls and the prepubescent boys is because they haven't um, started puberty yet. And a lot of them um, come from like single parent families, raised by a single mum, no masculine figures around the household. They don't play sports. They do things like drama. So they're used to playing a different character. And what the research shows, the very limited research, because let's be real... You, you can't really do real research on this stuff because up until we gave away medical ethics over the last three years, we can't do experiments on kids. That's why yeah. there's no real proper research into this. Um, but what the limited research does show is the, ki- the young boys who have these gender dysphoric feelings, once they go through a proper puberty, they grow out of those. Yeah. Right? Now, the gender affirmation uh, policy that we have in Australia means put those kids on puberty blockers before they go through it so the cure is taken away from these kids yeah yeah right now with the with the girls it's mainly teenage girls and it's a social contagion because it might be your friend is transitioning and you're talking about it in all your friendship groups and there's a lot of social pressure on girls particularly teenage girls especially when you look at things like social media and how you present yourself And that is actually, it's a social thing with a lot of girls to consider these sorts of things, right? So it's a social contagion. We experience the same social contagion with all of these psyops that the governments are doing on us. We experienced it during COVID, climate change, Ukraine war, and now we've got the voice. And the bigger concern is... I almost said it last week and I know I'm rambling here but I almost said it last week like, oh, congratulations because the censorship funding from the Australian government to the social media platforms ran out on the 30th of June. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Yep. And then last week Meta announced a partnership with the Australian government where they will be censoring misinformation on the voice to parliament. So that does tell me that at least the government is concerned that the no vote will get up. They're so concerned about it that they're now going to tilt... The information scouts in their favor again by censoring uh, opposition on social media.
1: Yeah, it sucks. Wake
0: <laughs> up. Yeah, so I think we'll leave it there. We'll leave it there. Uh, yeah. To 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 finalise things, if you've made it this far, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, I I don't want any pity for my story that I told at the beginning. I'll be fine. Just I know get what your I'm together just got to get my shit together anyone else who's in a similar situation if you just want someone to talk to please reach out or reach out to a trusted friend or confidant and get yourself back on the right path again don't fall for psyops and we'll see you next week bye bye